Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody this morning. Well, um, we're going to be in First um, Peter chapter 2 this morning, so go ahead and jump on in there. And uh, remember here a few weeks ago we did, um, I handed out some surveys that we wanted, I wanted to see where you were and what your gifts are and what your callings are. But then at the bar, very bottom, I put a, a little deal. The greatest need in our fellowship. Do you all remember that? Remember what? Okay. I, I think you would like to know. Would you like to know what, what the greatest needs, what people see and saw? You know, that it was, it's, it, I thought it was interesting because some of you hit on the same thing multiple times. So here goes. Concerning leadership, clarity in leadership, communication, and accountability. Uh, delegating to others. Uh, mentorship to the youth and adults, youth leaders staying connected with the youth's concerns, understanding in women's ministries, transparency, accountability within eldership, restore trust, unity, uh, that had three hits, <laughs> and, and there was, some of these have multiple hits, Holy Spirit-led discipleship, express care and heart for Israel, is that cool or what? Okay, local ministry, outreach to those outside the fellowship, uh, welcoming newcomers and staying connected to them. That had two hits on that. Um, you know, when God speaks one time, it's important. You know, if he says it more than once, it's, it becomes an imperative. In other words, if God is speaking, he's bearing witness with us wherever two are gathered, or no, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in, his, in our midst. But there, there has to be a confirmation out of the mouth of two or more witnesses. So when I see multiple things in here, I, I really sense the Lord speaking in this, okay? Okay, high school, uh, college-age discipleship, a deeper and closer relationship with them, more spiritual fire. Oh, well, I love that. Uh, discipleship in the youth and adults, inside and outside the build, building. Now, that there's eight hits on that, so... That's really something that, that you're sensing and I'm sensing too. Encourage those with gifts and talents to use them. Uh, sharing of the workload at church helps. Those in need, connecting to social services if need be. Uh, health needs, uh, helping carry burdens. There was two hits on that. Um, children's ministry needs an overhaul. <laughs> uh, more effort in making it robust and more wow. I love that one because in, in uh, Calvary Chapel, St. Pete, they have a children's ministry that is off the hook. It is so good. There are some guys who are, uh, work at Disney that they're in the fellowship in there, and they went in there and they redid all the walls in schemes and biblical schemes, you know, like Noah and, and Jonah and things like that for the kids. So artists in here, anyone... You know, we want to work on that. So, what th And these are prayer needs, too. I want, that, want you to know that we want to pray about these things so that we can be not just hearing it, but doing it. You know, when we see the concerns within the body, we want to reach out and take care of that. Um, more exposure to the local community. A sign out front needs to be. So, yeah, we do that. And we were talking about that very thing this morning. Love. Church that cares for each other and the community. Two hits on that. More attention to worship ministry. Sound balance in worship sessions. 
more focus on the worship leader, less distraction, uh, and address issues instead of ignoring them. Speak the truth in love. Isn't that cool? I mean, I, I for one, I was sitting back and I was going, you know, Lord, I don't know. Should I share this? And then I, I asked the elders and I said, what do you think? And they go, well, they want to know. That's why they wrote it down. So that's why I'm sharing it with you all so that we can be more connected of where we are as a fellowship. All right. Now, now to the word. <laughs> all right. Father, we thank you, God, again for listening and Lord also speaking. Lord, you're not just there to give us commands, but you're, I thank you that you listen to us. And so I pray that, Father, you would listen as we just begin to get into your word and that we would have the ears to hear what you say to us, Lord God. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in, in the first chapter, Peter was telling us that we are to love each other with fervent love and also that we've been born again, not by corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible word of God that endures forever. So he's directing us away from the old life, away from, from the dependency upon our fleshly reasonings. But he's, he's directing us towards our new spiritual life, our new life in Christ and a spiritual life. And I just want to share with about in some seminaries or cemeteries, you could call them. Anyway, in some seminaries, they teach courses on church demographics. In other words, they tell you, well, it's all about location. Location, look, they'll tell you location. You got to have the right location. Oh, programs, we got to have programs. We don't have programs. Oh, we, we got to be more entertaining, you know. But you know, as you look at that, that's all focused on man's efforts. That's all focused on our, our abilities. Instead of turning to the Lord... Jeremiah actually says this, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart has departed from the Lord. In other words, you're turning your dependencies of uh, the spiritual things on the physical things and you have turned away from listening and depending on me. We don't want to do that. We want to we depend upon the Holy Spirit to strengthen and lead and guide us. He is the teacher. He will lead us and guide us into all truth. You have no need that you have any teachers. You have the Holy Spirit. He tells you individually. So you need to be that, that one that's searching the scriptures as the Bereans did to make sure. Because it's your life. It's your salvation. Work out your own salvation. That means getting into the word and allowing the word to speak to you through the Holy Spirit. So I'm glad Peter's been telling us what God has done. And spiritual growth is a matter of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. It's a matter of the heart. Uh, and so God's telling us, and as Peter says, it's what I've done. Look at what I have done to you, and not your efforts. So Peter says this, therefore, or in other words, because of this, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious and he takes that from psalm 34 verse 8 but i want you to notice how the priorities here are in reverse order uh, before we can lay anything in aside we have to taste and see that the lord is good that he's he's gracious we have to taste and see that he he's he's the one who's done it 
Peter's pointing to the cross here in a roundabout way. He's pointing to the, gra- the grace that was given to us through Christ at the cross. So it's about, it's about grace. And the only way that we can begin to lay things aside is that as we turn to Christ through the power of the cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So then we begin here in laying aside all those things in verse 1. You look at verse 1, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, uh, evil speaking, all evil speaking. It's interesting this word laying aside in the Greek, it literally means take off clothes. In other words, whatever you've been depending upon to cover you, you need to take that off. And so he's saying lay, take off the deceit, deceit basically, or malice. Malice is evil thinking. You know, your thoughts can run run in a, in a negative way, especially if somebody's done you wrong. It's easy to run that way. You know, we're bent. You know, we're like moths to the flame. We're bent towards that. We're, we're sinners. It's just the thing. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit being born again to be able to counter that effect. And so we, we, our minds would go there. Then there's, there's deceit. Deceit basically is saying to set a trap to take advantage of by word. In other words, try to trick somebody into doing something or telling them it's a lie really is what it is and so to take a trap them by words and then there's hypocrisy well you all know what hypocrisy it's being an actor being a fake being a phony it's not real and then there's envy envy basically is wanting what someone else has and finally there's evil speaking now evil speaking is referring to gossip complaining, murmuring, backbiting. You know that the church is known for that? Should not be. The, Paul said these things should not be. They shouldn't be a, even mentioned, but they are. And so Peter's bringing these up. You know, Peter was a pretty brave guy, you know. He really was. But I want you to notice after the word malice, there's a comma. What that comma does, it says everything after it is connected to it. So in other words, everything about malice encompasses some form of deceit, hypocrisy, or envy. And then at the end, it all translates into one thing, evil speaking. If you don't have love in your heart, and there's actually the flesh in the heart, and you're depending upon that old man, it's going to go along this line. You're going to depend upon that old area. And in the end result, we're going to be talking evil. We're going to be speaking evil. So he's calling on us. He's calling on us to put off that old man. If the old man starts to raise its ugly head, you know, there's a book called Calvary Road. I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it. It's a great book. And it's a road. It's a this Calvary Road is that Jesus goes after that. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to pick up your cross daily and follow him. Picking up the cross means there's going to be some pain involved. There's going to be some parts of this that you're not going to really like to do. And so he, Peter's saying, put off the old life, pick up your cross, put off those things that you used to feed on. Whatever I used to feed on, I don't want to feed on that anymore because every time I do, it only brings me grief and pain because it's of the flesh. But he says, instead, be like babies. Be like babies that, you know, babies really like to drink milk. They really, I mean, you get a hungry baby and man, it's almost like a battle to get that baby, you know, just give me that thing, you know. Those that were to be like that, we're to hunger for the word like that. 
In the beginning, the word of God to us is like milk. It's easy to take in. You know, we don't really understand some of the deeper things. But then as we grow, we begin to dig deeper. And what happens? Oh, it's a barbecue. Man, I mean, there's some meat in there. And the deeper we go, the more we understand. And the more we understand, the deeper we go, right? Right. But believers who fail to lay aside the old life and quit drinking in the word and begin to rely upon that old, their spiritual life becomes stunted. They don't do the things they're supposed to be doing. Instead of teaching and leading what they're doing, as they're, they're like a baby. They're still whining and crying over things. The only way we can know God is good is if we taste and see. You know, take a step of faith. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Did you believe? Did you taste? Did you take a step? Oh, wow, this is so good. It tastes so good and it, it, it feeds my soul. It feeds my spirit. It touches my heart. It causes me to break because God, as he says, as he says to, to Paul in the book of Romans, that God demonstrated his love towards us and while we were yet sinners, that Christ died. He loved me while I was a mess. Isn't that sweet? That's sweet. That's precious. That's who he is. Taste and see. So if we're feeding on anything to build up our soul, our spirit, other than the word of God, our spiritual life will be stunted. We will not grow. It's the word of God by the spirit of God and the people of God. It begins there first by the word. You heard the word and you believed the word. And then it was the spirit of God that sparked the word that began to speak to us. And when he did, we went, I don't know about you, but I went, wow. I think that's going to be my, my worship in heaven for about the first million years. Just looking at the throne of God and the glory and the presence of God and just going, wow. Consider his greatness. Consider his glory. Consider his majesty. What are you going to say? Wow. I know God understands wow with me. He knows it's hallelujah. <laughs> so. But John 6.63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. When you get the word... It's spiritual. You know, you are created as a spiritual being. You need to be alive. But that spirit was dead because of sin. Because when, but when Christ came and came to us and we said, yes, Lord, I died, but now I live. And that's how Paul could say that. You know, I no longer live, but you know, I'm alive in Christ. He is my life. He is my source. He is my life. So Peter, once he, we've taken off all that stuff there in verse 1 there, the malice, deceit, and so on. And we begin to take in the word of God. And we begin to drink. We discover something. We discover something. We discover this, is that God is good and that he loved me while I was yet a sinner and he did something towards me and it was grace. I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve heaven. I don't deserve the goodness of God. If anything, I, need the I deserve the lowest parts of hell. That's what I deserve. But he's going to give me heaven. Why? 
Because Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteous. I believe God what he said about his son. And his son said to me, if you come unto me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke. And as I did, I began to believe and I began to be restored. And my spirit was revived in Christ. And I'm alive in Christ. You want to be alive if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And he wants to say, come unto me. I want to set you free. I want to bring life into your hearts, into your life. The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So Peter says, coming to him, being Jesus. In verse 4. As to a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You underline or take notes, precious. Just say that word, precious. Precious. Is he precious? Is he precious? Oh, I love precious. The preciousness of Christ. The preciousness of his love. The preciousness of his sacrifice. There's nothing that can be compared to it. The preciousness of God. And precious. You also are living stones. Are being built up as spiritual house. Notice how he's been referring to spiritual life. Spiritual house. Everything is spiritual. There has to be a move of God's spirit to revive us. And he wants us because he's calling us into his presence. I want to hear him, and I can't hear him unless I'm alive in the Spirit. I've got to hear him. And the way I hear him is I take the Word of God and I sew it to my heart. And as I say, I'm, in my heart, I'm in, with him in my heart, the Word of God. He says, he speaks through that Word to me. And he speaks that Word to you. You ever heard him say, this is the way, walk in it? Listen for him. When he does, when you sow those words into your heart and your mind, it's cool. It's great that I get, I get to hear God speak to me. And he wants to speak to everyone here. A house, spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't like the other precious stones mentioned in the Bible. There are a lot of precious stones in the Bible. But he is the living stone. The stone that's alive. He's the chief stone. He is the commander of the Lord of hosts. He is the master and commander. But he was the one who came to his own and his own received him not. This word says and he was rejected by his very own. Now at the foot of Mount Hermon. In Israel, a place called Caesarea Philippi. If you've been to Israel, you know where I'm talking about. It was there that Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And some said this, some said that, and some said this. But Peter answered and said, you are the, you are the Christ. You are the Mashiach. You are the Christ, the Messiah. The Son of the living God. And Matthew 16, verse 17 through 18 is the response that Jesus gave to Peter. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood 
has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say, and I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros. Petros. And on this Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, Peter, you're, you are Peter. You are Petros. You're a little pebble. You ever got a little pebble in your shoe? You're going to be a little irritating. Was Peter a little irritating? He was. But upon this rock, what he states there, which is translated this giant boulder, I will build my church. In other words, it was Peter's confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, that the foundation of the church is built upon. It's that profession of faith. Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 20, And 22 to 22, he says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You know, the church is made up of many Peters, little little stones, your little stones, your little pebbles who are being fit together and placed at just the right place for just the right purpose. And we become that holy place like the, like the temple. We are this place of a sanctuary, a place set apart for safety. That's what a sanctuary is. A sanctuary is to come in and sense no threat, no fear, that there's, there's peace, there's love, and there's joy. That we sense the presence of God. That's sanctuary. We call out sanctuary. It's a holy place. And if it's done right, it can be glorious. Psalm 118, which Peter refers to here in just a minute. Verse 22-23. He says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, When they built the temple, the stones were cut off site. And the reason for that was so that there wouldn't be any abrasive or confusing sounds there. It was the temple was a, was a place of peace, a place there where there was no confusion. There was no uh, abrasiveness about that. And each stone, as they cut these stones off site, they would mark them and they would put them in a certain place and place them just the right place, just like we are, just here. You're here and you're just where you're supposed to be as you submit and listen to the placement of God in your life, in the fellowship. So as they place these stones and they would take these big, huge stones, some of them uh, that we, when we were in Israel, we saw were higher than the stage here. And as long as the stage, can you imagine how they did that? I can't even imagine how they moved these things. They were, and some of them in, in the rabbi's tunnel, in the priest's tunnel, when we walked inside there, this one stone was 40 feet long. And I couldn't imagine how they did. But as they placed these stones and set them in place, you can imagine what happens. You get a big stone that's, that's in the, the, the realm of tons as they're lifting these things up and they were placing them in their place, they would rub upon, they would rub next to the other stones. 
And as they would, you can imagine, little chips would go off and little pieces and little, they would rub each, uh, against each other, you know. And it wasn't real, you know, it wouldn't have been a comfortable thing, but they were placed in there. Well, they're being set in just the right place. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like someone's rubbed you the wrong way? Ever felt like you are, you're part of this temple, you're part of this work of God, and somebody's rubbed you the wrong way? Well, let me suggest to you that maybe God has put you next to that person to rub off some of those rough edges. Maybe he's placed you there so that there's something to chip off the old block, as it were, you know, take it off. But Paul says we are many members but one body. And just like the temple, there were many blocks, just like there are with us, and it's a place of worship. It's a place that we gather together. Sometimes it's kind of hard, but you know what? Hey, we're family. And love is what's to prevail. No, so back to the stone which the builders rejected here, Peter, in the construction of the temple. Peter says in verse 6, speaking of the spiritual house in the context, he says, therefore, the spiritual house is also contained in the scripture, and he's speaking of Isaiah 28, verse 16. If you don't have it written in your Bibles, you can write it in there. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. How many? We've heard that word quite a few times here. Precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, again, because of what you just heard, to you who believe, he is precious. You remember what I said? If God mentions a word one time, it's, it's important. If he mentions it more than once, it becomes an imperative. I want you to understand this is what God's saying. He is precious. He is precious. He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, uh, you could also put in there unbelieving, Uh, Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, Peter's reaching out and he's grabbing from all of his his learning from the scriptures and he's throwing them in here. And that just shows that Peter was a man of God. He he may have been a fisherman, but he was a man of God and he was a student of God's word. Has become the chief cornerstone. And then he quotes from Isaiah 8, 14, and the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense they stumbled being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. Unbelief equals disobedience. Let me say that again. Unbelief equals disobedience. The reference you can use that for your background is in, found in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews. It's because of unbelief they didn't enter into the rest of God. And it led them to disobedience. And that's where we look at who are disobedient. And the reason was because they, were, they weren't believing like they should. Many times, you know, when we look at these stones, the things that were tossed aside, the stone that the builders rejected, the things that we toss aside are, are really maybe the things that God has been using. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Peter knows what it's like to be tossed aside. I mean, he was a fisherman. Fishermen were despised. They were looked upon like shepherds in many places. They, they were looked at as, you know, unclean even. He was snubbed. He knew what it was like. So he's talking to those that feel like they've been tossed aside. 
You're not thought of. You're not remembered. You're not considered. That's where Peter's at. He's, he's just saying, God's considering you. God's watching you. He's looking at you. So he knew what it was like to be tossed aside, but he also knew what it was like to toss someone aside. Didn't he toss aside Jesus? He knew what it was like to toss somebody aside that was important or needful or precious. And he tossed aside. So he knew what it was like. And he knew what it was like. And he felt the sting of the shame for what he had done. But isn't God's grace so awesome? Is that because it was the word of God that came back to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Can you hear that? That's grace. Peter, do you love me? I know you did what you did, but oh, do you love me, Peter? He's challenging him to come into the love of God, isn't he? He's challenging him, saying, I love you, but Peter, do you love me? He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and even more grace. Hebrews tells us he's, he saves to the uttermost. The word uttermost literally means past the vanishing point. How far does that go? How far does the sin that we commit that God takes care of? There isn't any sin except unbelief. That's the only one that he can't cover. If you don't believe, then that's on, on you. But anything else, praise God. For how graceful he is. Grace upon grace. Now those who believe. He is precious. He's precious. Now to Peter. Jesus was precious. And look what he did though. He was with Jesus. You know. Though they all sit back and turn away from you. I will never turn away from you. Jesus was precious to him. And yet look what he did. And Jesus told him that Satan wanted to sift him, but I'm praying for you. You remember that. That's grace again. Jesus was never ashamed or embarrassed of Peter. I mean, he rebuked him, but he was never ashamed of him. He loved him. And what a painful journey that Peter ended up going because of that denial. But what a great restoration took place when Jesus brought him back in. Now, Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23, it points out the building and the construction and the stones and how the, the, the stone cutters and the builders worked together and how the builders had rejected the chief cornerstone that was uh, brought to the building site of the temple. Well, according to Jewish tradition, the first stone that was cut was the chief cornerstone. And when they cut this stone... They sent it down to the temple site, and as they brought it to the temple site, the builders were out there, and they, as they looked over this stone, they go, well, where's this go? And what it was, it was brought first in, but it was the first thing that was rejected, and they took it, and they threw it off into the Kidron Valley. That, I found that interesting, because as they were building it, and they throw it into the, the Kidron Valley, when I was up there on the top of... of uh, uh, the Mount of Olives, and I was looking down into the Kindred Valley and looking up to the eastern gate and the eastern wall. The verse came to the, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I looked down in the valley, and this valley 
when they would offer sacrifice, there was a big trough that came from where the temple was back behind the eastern gate, came out and just dumped the gallons and gallons and gallons of blood down into the valley of the Kidron that flowed down into the Dead Sea. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the valley of the shadow of death. Now, and there's, there, this is just what I saw. You know, I mean, there's nothing that scripturally says that it's the valley of the shadow of death. But I'm looking down in here and I'm seeing that and I'm seeing a correlation of the blood, the life in the blood is being poured out and it's going down into this valley. And as I was standing there on the Mount of Olives and I looked down, I see this shepherd at the very bottom of the valley shepherding his sheep down through that. And I went, wow, imagine what it was like there when they were building this temple. Well, these guys, they took this, this stone, this cornerstone, they tossed it aside. And so they went on, the building was being built. And then as the building was coming towards the end, uh, the builders looked around for the chief cornerstone and they couldn't find it. So they went, well, tell those guys up there at the quarry, we need the chief cornerstone now. And they sent back word, well, we already sent it to you. You did. Well, where is it? So they began to look around and one of the guys remembered, you remember when we started this whole thing? Remember that one stone that was out of place, that one stone that really didn't fit anywhere? Remember, we took it and we threw it off over there into the valley. See, that's, that's, that's a, uh, an analogy of Jesus. That's an analogy of Jesus. In the same way, as they looked at Jesus, they couldn't make sense of him. They couldn't understand him. Did you know the, it, that at that time they were looking for a, a military leader deliverer to take them out from under the yoke of the Romans? They didn't understand that Jesus was coming there to set them free from a greater bondage, a greater yoke, which was the yoke of sin and condemnation. So they couldn't make sense of him and uh, they didn't understand. You know, how can he be the chief cornerstone? He's just, you know, he's just a carpenter. He's just a peasant. How could he be the Messiah? There's nothing special about him. He doesn't have the credentials. Matter of fact, he said that the, he's, Ill, he's illegitimate. Let's just get rid of him. That was their consensus. Let's just get rid of him. He doesn't fit. Isaiah 53 said that there was nothing about him that we should desire him. If you haven't read uh, um, Isaiah 53, I, I, I think you should read it because you're going to see Jesus all the way through it. Amen. In Isaiah 8, 14, here he goes again. Peter, Peter knew the word. I'm going to tell you, Peter knew the word. He will be as a sanctuary. That's future tense. Okay, he will be as, looking to the future tense. But a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both houses of Israel. That was current. As a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Notice that even to both houses of Israel, the the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He would be a stumbling block. How could he be? He didn't have the right credentials. 
He's just a peasant. He's just a carpenter. Everything that he didn't fit in their criteria of Messiah, he didn't fit. Both houses. He became a rock of offense. And yet, he will be as a sanctuary. He will be as a sanctuary. Remember sanctuary? Safe place. Safe place. Peaceful place. Peaceful place. They may have tossed him aside for now, but coming attractions. Zechariah 12.10 And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. Oh, what a wonderful word. The spirit of grace and supplication that then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn. And he's speaking to Israel here. He's speaking to Israel. They will look on me whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Israel is coming. I'm going to tell you that. Israel's coming. Israel is on the road right now by the Spirit of God. God is setting the stage for the end. And Israel is a big player in that time of the conclusion of man. Look to the east. Look to the, to the eastern side. See what's going on. Soon and very soon, the blinders are coming off. The blinders are coming off. And in that day, Israel, in that day, all Israel will know that Jesus is Messiah. He will speak to them. He will share with them and they will see. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, when we're done, when God is done dealing with Gentiles, He's saying, okay, Israel, come on in. And the blinders are going to come off. Ooh, isn't that awesome? And we will all be one family as we are in Christ. And we'll all know and we'll all see. And there will be no separation between us. No separation. Right now, in Christ, we know that and we realize that Jew and Gentile, we are no longer, we are one in Christ. You have been grafted in. You are the family of God through Christ. Yes, who you are. I may be, have been born in the flesh a Gentile, but in the spirit I am born again as a Jew. <laughs> Praise God. I have been grafted in. And if you know him, you are part of that grafting of that sustenance that comes from the branch. The life-giving source that comes from the branch is like the menorah is flowing out to you. You are living menorahs. A light that's set upon the hill. You are a menorah filled with the power of the oil of the Holy Spirit and lit by His power so that when you are out there that you will be no longer you that speak but it'll be Christ and the Holy Spirit speaking you and if you're out of your innermost being Scripture says will flow rivers of living water. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Let, let the Holy Spirit just you know flow. Let Him flow. Let Him have His place. All Israel will be saved. Praise God. 
looking for that day. We have to be careful that we don't toss aside something that just very, 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 very well made. You know what? Sometimes you get tongue-tied up here. <laughs> don't toss aside something that very, let me read it. Very well, maybe. There, that's what I'm trying to say. God's doing. Don't toss it aside. Even though it may not fit. It may not make sense. But it just might be his doing. Just might be his doing, right? Right. Trust him. The only thing we should be tossing aside is our old life. That's the only thing. The old life raises its head. Don't let it. God was talking to Cain and he says that evil is at the door. He's knocking. Don't let him in. It wants to rule over you, but you shall rule over it, the sin. There's a monster at every one of our hearts, at the door of our heart, and it wants in. And the only way we can keep that door shut is through the power of the Holy Spirit and the new life in Christ. Toss that old man aside and replacing it with your new life, with my, what, I, what we all have that Jesus has given us and the foundation being Christ, the feeding of God's word and the dependence upon the Holy Spirit for the power that we need. This is where we are, folks. This is the day we live in. Time is being wrapped up. It's coming to the close. We are in the final moments. People say last days, I say last moments. I, I, I pray that we don't even get out of this place, you know. I've said that more than once, but I keep saying it. Because that's what I want. I, I, my mom, before she passed away, we were talking about going and being with the Lord and dying, you know. And I said, you know, I'm not a big thrill of that dying thing, you know. I'm really voting for the rapture, you know. <laughs> yeah, listen to you guys. You guys are all the same page, you know. But we will all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. In that moment, oh, wow. See, you hear wow. <laughs> so when you guys get there and I'm there with you, don't be surprised if you see Dan over there going, wow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Father, we thank you for just grace and grace this morning. Lord, the abundance of what you do and say to us, I just thank you, God. Lord, where else can we go? As Peter said, you alone have the words of eternal life. You alone have that life-giving spirit that comes and lives in us and gives us the power, Lord, to walk like you and talk like you and see like you. I pray you open up our eyes. Like Gehazi, Lord, with Elisha. Open up their eyes, Lord, to see on the hills the glory and the power of your presence in their lives so that, God, that, that we go and all see and together for the purpose of your glory and your kingdom, God. Open our eyes that we can see. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found. Trust in His righteousness alone. Faultless stand before the throne. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Yes, Lord. Master, King, we give you glory. We give you honor, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. The Lord bless thee. And keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. And be gracious unto thee. And be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. Shalom. And let the Lord bless you and keep you. If you have never been to a Jewish uh, service to hear the cantors sing, oh my goodness, you're missing it. It's glorious. So, Lord bless you. You all canters this morning. God bless you all. Bless each other in the name of the Lord. God bless. You need prayer for, for healing, for anything, we'd be blessed to be able to pray for you today. God bless you all.